As we behold the world around us, it is easy to perceive the hand of a creator who ordered all things perfectly. Nothing in this universe happened by chance because the one behind it all is a God of order and organization. He has revealed to us that angels, who live in the realms of the heavens above, work harmoniously, and the more closely we imitate their harmony and order, the more successful will be the efforts of these heavenly agents in our behalf. If we see no necessity for harmonious action, and are disorderly, undisciplined, and disorganized in our work, angels, who are thoroughly organized and move in perfect order, cannot work for us successfully. They would turn away in grief, for they are not authorized to bless confusion, distraction, and disorder. God's people who have embraced the truth in its fullness find themselves in the same position as did the early Adventists in the 1850s. They share the same faith but need to come together in order to work successfully in the Lord's vineyard. Indeed, it has become evident that without some form of organization, we'll remain but independent atoms, creating confusion and preventing the work from being carried forward successfully. The Lord's army must yet again be organized upon the true foundation, following the blueprint that Christ himself has instituted. Organized to finish the work. Well, before we begin uh, with this first presentation, I'm going to invite those that can to kneel with me so that we can pray. Our dear, most and kind, loving Father, we thank you for being here with us today. We ask that you may speak to our hearts and to our minds, and that we may be able to see divine light, and we will be willing to embrace it and walk in the truth. I thank you, and I ask you these things in the name of your dear begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as you can see, the title of this presentation is Organization. Why is it important? And so, um, my endeavor this morning is to show from the Bible and from the spirit of prophecy the answer to this question. Why is it important? And so, we find there the Ark of the Covenant. There here in this image. My first passage is from Revelation 19.11, which reads, and there was open the temple of God that is in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his covenant. And there followed lightnings and voices and thunders and earthquake and great hail. So here we find in this passage that we find the ark of the covenant and heaven. What's inside the Ark of the Covenant? Does anyone know? In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, we read, Which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. 
These three items that we find inside the Ark of Jehovah's Covenant are again the pot of manna, Aaron's rod, and finally the tables of testimony. Why are these two extra items found inside the Ark? Are the pot of manna and Aaron's rod in the Ark in heaven? Notice the following. And we have a, the pot, Aaron's, Aaron's rod, and the tables of testimony. Here's a statement from Early Writings, page 32.4. In the holiest I saw an ark. On the top and sides of it was purest gold. On each end of the ark was a lovely cherub, with its wings spread out over it. Their faces were turned toward each other, and they looked downward. Between the angels was a golden censer above the ark. Where the angels stood was an exceeding bright glory that appeared like a throne where God dwelt. Jesus stood by the ark, and as the saints' prayers came up to him, the incense in the censer would smoke, and he would offer up their prayers with the smoke, the incense to his Father. In the ark was the golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of stone which folded together like a book. So this vision is in regards to the Ark of the Covenant where? In heaven. And in heaven, inside the Ark of the Covenant, not only do we find the tables of testimony, but we also find the golden pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded. Sometimes, or perhaps, well, this was my experience. I didn't know that these two items were actually still in the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. So according to this statement, we know that these items are there. Their significance is everlasting alongside Jehovah's law. So again, why was the pot of manna placed within the ark? Most of us are familiar with the Bible account of the pot of manna. But I'm going to touch this very briefly. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded. Fill an omer of it, of it to be kept for your generations that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. But what was the attitude of the people towards this manna? Do you remember? It was not a good one, correct? Exodus 63 we read, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would that we had died by the hand of Jehovah in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to, be, to the full, for ye have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So what was their experience? What was their attitude? They would rather what? Die. I remember not too long ago, I went to a, uh, a local shop in my, in where I live at to get my wife's phone fixed. And as I was standing back waiting for my turn, I heard a conversation about someone saying to the other person about their um, relative having diabetes. It was a Spanish conversation, and it was, well, I was not too far, so I was listening, right? And I said, well, what is she doing to take care of herself? She's not doing a thing. And in Spanish, I'm going to try to translate what she said that really struck me. In Spanish, she said, for those that understand, we'll, we'll get it. But I'm going to translate it in English. She said, she prefiere morirse 
Prefiere, prefiere morirse llena que de ganas. She prefers to die filled or full than to die with desire. In other words, she prefers her dish or her food than to die with, with, with desire of wanting it. And I was reminded of this account. Humanity has not changed, has it? Here's the selected messages, page 412, paragraph 3. The Hebrews were not satisfied. They despised the food given them from heaven and wished themselves back in Egypt where they could sit by the flesh pots. They preferred slavery and even death rather than to be deprived of meat. God, in His what? In His anger, gave them flesh to gratify their lustful appetites and great numbers of them died while eating the meat for which they had lusted. Very, very unfortunate. The pot of manna is there as an indicator and a reminder that we are to follow Jehovah's dietary laws. It is His continual will for His people to feed off the natural, the vegetation of the earth. And this is why the pot of manna was placed in the Ark of the Covenant and remains there to this day. It is important for us not only to understand this, but of course, to live it out. The light that God has given and will continue to give on the food question is to be, his, is to, be to His people today what the manna was to the children of Israel. The manna fell from heaven and the people were told to gather it and prepare it to be eaten. So in different countries, countries of the world, light will be given to the Lord's people and how food suited to these countries will be prepared. So the light, in according wherever country God's people are at, light will be given to see what wholesome food they can partake of. One important part of the work of the ministry is to faithfully present to the people the health reform as it stands connected with the third angel's message as part and parcel of the same work. They should not fail to adopt it themselves and should urge it upon all who profess to believe the truth. So you might be wondering, what is the, what is this has to do with organization, right? Well, remember, we read that in heaven, there we find the Ark of the Covenant. And we find not only the tables of testimony, but we find a pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded. And so I needed to touch on these two things for those that who might not know. So let's continue. So here we find the tables of testimony. And I'll just share one statement here. Men will exalt and rigidly enforce laws that are in direct opposition to the law of God. Though zealous in enforcing their own commandments, they will turn away from a plain that saith the Lord, exalting a spurious rest day. They will seek to force men to dishonor the law of Jehovah, the transcript of his character. Amen. So the significance of the tables of testimony being inside the ark is a symbol of Jehovah's character. Amen. We find, of course, one more item, and that's Aaron's rod, but we will touch on this further on. <clears throat> so here um, we see priests carrying uh, or bearing the ark. 
We need to be the people of the ark. What do you say? We need to be the people of the ark. When God shall work His strange work on the earth, when holy hands do what? Bear the ark no longer, woe will be upon the people. All that thou hast known, even thou in this, in this thy day, the things that belong unto thy peace, all that our people may, as did Nineveh, repent with all their might and believe with all their heart that God may turn away his fierce anger from them. So again, we need to be the people that bear the ark. And our lives should be in harmony with that which we bear. Right? If we bear the law of God, then our lives should be in harmony with the law of God. And in that ark, we find the pot of manna. And our lives should be in harmony with that pot of manna. In other words, we should be practicing in our life health reform. And there's another item, and that's where this presentation is going. So, is Jehovah angered with His people today? Is He calling His people to repent? Satan has laid every measure possible that nothing shall come among us as a people to reprove and rebuke us and exhort us to put away our errors. But there is a people who will bear the ark of God. Amen. Amen. Some will go out from among us who will bear the ark no longer. But these cannot make walls to obstruct the truth. For it will go onward and upward to the end. In the past, God had raised up men and he still has men of opportunity waiting, prepared to do his bidding. Men who will go through restrictions which are only as walls daubed with an untempered mortar. When God puts his spirit upon men, they will work. They will proclaim the word of the Lord. They will lift up their voice like a trumpet. The truth will not be diminished or lose its power in their hands. They will show the people their transgressions, and the house of Jacob, their sins. So according to this statement, there will be a people, or rather, there is a people that will bear the art of God. I want to be a part of that people. Organization, Jehovah's arrangement. And this is, we need to understand this. That this is indeed God's arrangement, not man's. That's very important for us to embrace and really think about that. It's not man, it's divine. And this is the the arrangement that we find, or the order that we find in the scriptures. But I would have you know that the head of every man is who? Christ. And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is who? God. And ye are Christ, and Christ is? God's. So the head of every man is Christ, and the head of of Christ is, is God. And God has placed all things under His feet. For He put all things under His feet. But when he said all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. So this passage is telling us that God has put everything under his feet. Whose feet? Christ. 
It is manifest that He is accepted. Who's accepted? God. God. Except God. God is the source. He is the Father. He's not under Christ. God is the head of Christ. And Jesus is also the head of the angels and of His congregation on earth. And it's important for us to know that because we need to think, observe, analyze where is this people and who is He leading. I want to join that people that God is leading. When all things shall be subdued um, unto Him, then shall the Son also Himself be subject unto Him that put all things under Him that God may be in all. Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto Him. So again, we see this order in heaven. Okay? And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. So Jesus is the head of all principality and power. The order we find is God. This is the order that we find in, in, in heaven. And you're com- complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, and has put all things under His feet, and he, gave, and he gave Him to be the head over all things to the church. So we find God as a head, and we've, then we find Christ, and finally we find the angels. And under the angels, when... And heaven before sin entered, who was under, or who was one of these angels? Lucifer. Lucifer was included in one of these angels. Organization in heaven according to the spirit of prophecy. What does Ellen White say um, in the spirit of prophecy? Notice, before the fall of Satan, the father consulted his son in regard to the formation of man. They purpose to make this world and create beasts and living things upon it, and to make man in the image of God, to reign as a ruling monarch over every living thing which God should create. When Satan learned the purpose of God, he was envious at Christ, and jealous because the Father had not consulted him in regard to the creation of man. Satan was of the highest order of angels. But Christ was above all. He was a commander of all heaven. He imparted to the angelic family the high commands of his father. The envy and jealousy of of Satan increased. Satan was dissatisfied with what? With his position. Although very exalted, he aspires to be equal with God. And unless the Lord gratifies his ambition determines to rebel and refuses or refuse submission. He desires, yet dare not at once venture to make known his envious, hateful feelings. But he contents himself with gaining all he can sympathize with him. As though deeply wrong, he relates to them his thoughts of warring against Jehovah. Satan became dissatisfied with his position. He was not happy, and he was unwilling to submit to who? To Christ. This is the mindset or the attitude 
that began in heaven, rising up the order that was already arranged. He didn't like it. And we know what happened. True, faithful angels, listening, hear the awful threats of Satan and immediately report to their great commander. It was the highest crime to rebel against the government of God. All heaven seemed in commotion. The angels were marshaled in companies, each with a higher commanding angel at their head. All the angels were astir. Satan was warring against the government of God because ambitious, because ambitious to exalt himself and unwilling to submit to the authority of God's Son, heaven's great commander. Can you envision the crisis that began in a place where such had never been experienced or seen? The commotion that was going on over this angelic being who was now questioning and uprising against their creator? Without organization, there's no accountability. And so Satan decided, I'm going on my own. Independence began in heaven. I'm not going to submit to anyone. I don't need to submit to God's Son. I got God and I can go straight to Him. That's the mindset that many today even um, have. And submission for many is a, is a bad word. People don't like to submit. Would you agree? Submission is not a bad word. We sang about it in, in our first hymn. Perfect submission. All is at rest. God informed Satan that to his son alone, he would reveal his secret purposes. And he required all the family in heaven, even Satan, to yield him implicit, unquestioned obedience. But that he, Satan, had proved himself unworthy a place in heaven. The father decides the case of Satan and declares that he must be turned out of heaven for his daring rebellion. And that all those who united with him in his rebellion should be turned out with him. Then there was war in heaven. Christ and his angels fought against Satan and his angels, for they were determined to remain in heaven with all their rebellion. They didn't want to leave. But they prevailed not. Christ and loyal angels triumphed and drove Satan and his rebel sympathizers from heaven. So who decides the fate of Satan? The Father. There was contention among the angels. Satan and his sympathizers were striving to reform the government of God. They were discontented and unhappy because they could not look into his unsearchable wisdom and ascertain his purposes in exalting his son, Jesus, and endowing him with such unlimited power and command that rebel against the authority of the son. Again, unhappy with their position. So here's what we find. A father consults his son regarding his plans in creating the world. Lucifer becomes jealous because he was not consulted. God informs Lucifer that to his son alone, he will reveal his secret purposes. Angels and their companies have a higher commanding angel. 
God's Son is the commander of all the angelic host. Jehovah decides the case of Lucifer and the angels who did not remain loyal. This is the order in heaven. Organization on earth. Now we're going to enter into Aaron's rod. And why is it in the ark in heaven? And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift up ye yourselves, lift up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Very interesting thought. Where did we find this thought? Where is the origin of this thought? In the fallen angel. In the fallen angel. But notice also, it was not just any men. They were famous men. Men of renown. And what was their argument? All the congregation is holy. They are all holy. Right? Isn't that their claim? The Lord is among them. Then why do you raise yourselves above the congregation? Who placed you there? Isn't this what their, their claim is? Again, dissatisfied with God's order and arrangement. Same spirit, same mindset. And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show you who are his and who is holy. And will cause him to come near unto him. Even him who hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. So again, Jehovah will decide this matter. Number 16, 16 reads, Therefore thou and all thy company are, got, are gathered together against Jehovah. And Aaron, what is he that ye murmur against him? Who was the congregation complaining and murmuring against? Moses and who else? And Aaron. And what was the result from all this murmuring and complaining? We know the account, right? We know what happened. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appointed unto Korah, and all their goods. We see that. A judgment took place, correct? And all these men were exterminated for their rebellion. What was, was this lesson learned? In verse 40, 41 we read, But on the morrow all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. Did they learn their lesson? Doesn't seem like it, right? The murmuring and complaining continued. If it wasn't because of Moses telling Aaron to quickly make an atonement for the congregation, Jehovah would exterminate the whole nation. If you read that chapter. In order for the congregation not to ever repeat this act of rebellion or uprising against God's order, the following took place. And Jehovah spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. And take of them rods, one for each father's house, of all their princes according to their father's houses, twelve rods, 
Write thou every man's name upon his rod, and thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for each head of their father's houses. And they shall lay them up in the tent of meeting before the testimony, where I meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the rod of the man whom I shall choose shall bud. And I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against you. So again, who is going to decide? Who's going to settle this once and for all? The God of heaven. The God of heaven. And Jehovah said unto Moses, Put back the rod of Aaron before the testimony to be kept for a token against the children of rebellion, that thou mayest make an end of their memories against me, that they die not. So why is this ark in the covenant? So that we can be mindful that God is a God of order, a God of organization, and that we need not to uprise against His order. That's why it's there. And if we are to be the people of the ark, or the people that bear the ark, then we must embrace these truths. God mercifully condescended to give the host of Israel another evidence, one calculated to correct their what? Their perverted judgment. How many have a perverted judgment today? Sometimes we act on emotions. We can't act on emotions. We need to act on a what? Said the Lord. That's where our loyalty should be. And I've mentioned this before, but do you think that there were family members of where those family members were divided because some chose to side with Moses while others chose to side with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? I'm sure there was. Only uncles, brothers, siblings, you name it, friends. The same thing happened in heaven. It was a family in heaven. And everyone had to decide. Just like we today, we have to decide. We have a decision to make. And I pray that we make the right decision based upon God's words, not any man's. In causing Aaron's rod to bud and bear almonds, God wrought a miracle, which was sufficient to silence the complaints of the Israelites, and which was to be a standing testimony that God has settled the priesthood upon Aaron. All the remarkable changes in the rod occurred in one night, to convince them that God has positively distinguished between Aaron and the rest of the children of Israel. After this miracle of divine power, the authority of the priesthood was no longer called in question. This wonderful rod was preserved to be frequently shown to the people, to remind them of the past, to prevent them from murmuring, and again calling in question to whom the priesthood rightly belong. Today they're questioning the male role of the priesthood. We have the record before us. All we need to do is look at it. And do as it says. 
And one more thing. Moses, although he was the leader of the children of Israel, and all those who are leaders in, among God's people are Christ-like in character. They protect the sheep. They look over the sheep. We're not talking about a, a dictator organization. God is a God of love. But unfortunately, people don't like that arrangement. And they don't like the positions where they find themselves. I want to be there. We need to be happy where we're at. And do the work that we have at our reach. What do you say? Amen. After the children of Israel were fully convinced of their wrong, and unjustly accusing Moses and Aaron as they had done, they saw their past rebellion in its true light, and they were terrified. They spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. They are at length compelled to believe the unwelcome truth that their fate is to die in the wilderness. After they believed that it was indeed the Lord who had said that they should not enter the promised land, but should die, they then acknowledged that Moses and Aaron were right, and that they had sinned against the Lord, and rebelling against their authority. They also confessed that Korah and those who perished with him were sinners against the Lord, and that they had justly suffered his wrath. Rebellion is what? As a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion originated with who? Satan. Satan. And all in rebellion against God is directly due to satanic influence. Those who set themselves against the government of God have entered into an alliance with the arch apostate. And he will exercise his power and cunning to, cap to captivate the senses and mislead the understanding. He will cause everything to appear in a false light, like our first parents, those who are under his bewitching, bewitching spell see only the great benefits to be received by transgression. There is a people who will bear the ark of God. There's many people out there. I don't want to judge them or criticize them. But I have the responsibility as a watchman of my own soul to side with those who bear the ark of God. There's a lot of ministries, ministers, people, Christians, you name it, churches. But when we narrow it down among God's people, God's professed people, the Advent people, they must be bearing the ark. And they must be, their lives must be in harmony with that which they bear. And those are the people that I want to side with. To push forward the truth and to organize to finish the work. Things are taking place in this world quite quickly. And we know that our world can change in an instant. We're seeing that. Well, we need to get it together, brothers and sisters. We need to finish the work. We need to get this message to the world, to those out there, so that Christ can come. And with this, I'm going to invite you again, those that can, to kneel for prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jehovah, for your word, and we thank you for the record that you have laid there before us, that we will not walk blindly, but that we will be guided by the light, and that is your word. We thank you, Father, and we ask that you continue to be with us. I ask that you continue to speak to us, is my prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth Pioneer